Hello and welcome. Another edition of Soccer to the Max is well, it's a victory. <laughs> a victory of the the final sword for this round, a 3-0 win for the United Silver Honduras in a frigid hypothermic evening in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, we'll get into that um, about uh, the safety concerns of the teams. But Eric, I mean, is uh, always with me here on on the soccer. Mm-hmm. The the thing that I took out of it is what a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. This was a win. We talked about it was needed. It was expected, and the U.S. really delivered. I mean, if you're going to be nitpicky, it was a mild shame that Pulisic wasn't able to make it four, almost at the death, but. Again, breathe a little bit. Eat the results around us. This sets us up perfectly where we wanted to be for March. Yeah, exactly. You got the win that you needed. It's your second to last home game. So now you know what's in front of you and what you need exactly uh, to get in order to get one of the final qualification spots uh, when it comes to what you're going to do and make for, you know, whatever those points are that you're when we get to that round. And we'll talk about all those fixtures here at the end. But you know, you mentioned Christian Pulisic. There was a lot of talk, and I think we mentioned it about, and you know, we talked about it on the first episode, does Christian Pulisic try to do too much? We saw it again in the Canada game, and then I'm sure that Greg Berhalter will probably say it's due to some rest and everything else, but for all intents and purposes, had not played very well and deserved to not start in that game. I don't know if Jordan Morris was perhaps the choice to start, but he is the one that wound up starting. And then on the other side, you have the returning Tim Way. That's one of the changes. Luca De La Torre come in in the midfield because uh, Eunice Musa wanted to give him a rest. And Tyler Adams was hurt. So you had to now play uh, Kellen Acosta in his spot. And Walker Zimmerman came back in after not being in the Canada game. Uh, found out that Chris Richards broke his foot. So he probably won't be playing for a while. And on the right side, you have Reggie Cannon coming in uh, for a Shino Dust that had picked up a knock once again. And that's sort of your your changes. And Ricardo Pepe also comes in for Josh's artists. What did you make of the lineup that we saw? And who stood out to you? I mean, honestly, I was glad to see Delatore get some big, especially in a must sort of qualifier. Glad to see Pepe kind of start coming back, maybe getting the Pepe train going. It didn't quite do as you expected on that front, but... And especially Pepe Mueller, he stood out because with all of the talk about him, with trying to be our number nine, he wasn't overwhelming, but I thought he's at least again and showing, okay, now I got to get a little bit of this. He showed some of that. I mean, give also credit to Jordan Morris, did everything but some maybe things, but kept pushing forward, keeping things going, getting more and more notice against the on. Those would be my key guys. I thought Pepe was okay. He had any of a uh, something of note. Again, it shows rust in a few spots where he had ability to try to get something towards goal and did not uh, do so. I still think that the whole number nine is completely up in the air. But until Berhalter actually calls in other number nines instead of Ricardo Pepe and some guys, I'm sorry, I'm I, I'm not trying to, uh, Jesus Freda is fine. Mm-hmm. But again, he's, he's more of a playmaker. He works in that FC Dallas system. Uh, Josh Sardis should be nowhere near this setup right now, especially with all the talent the United States has at forward and at striker. Try out these other strikers. Stop bringing in a Josh Sardis. You already know what he gives you. And he's not somebody that you really need to be bringing out. 
he's great for like the Gold Cup squad and stuff like that. I just don't see the point in bringing in someone where you're not getting anything different from him. He doesn't add something special to his team to help those around him. You know, whereas we saw the difference that the team has with Tim Weah. Mm -hmm. Tim Weah, again, was the guy on the right side getting things going. You know the moment that he has the ball, he's going to try to take someone on. Yep. I loved the, I, I don't know exactly, I don't have notes, uh, Spock, I'm sorry. It has been a few nights that, that haven't uh, been as, as productive as, as I've liked to be. But there was a one moment in the game where taking someone on, he can't completely get around him, but he still gets a cross off that actually mm -hmm. gets into the box. And although I think it wound up not really a troubling situation, it's still something that he actually did. You yeah. know, and, and you don't see that from the guys that have been playing in that position. Pulisic, even Aaron, who's been good in the other games, just hasn't window. But Weah has been that guy. When you're going forward, one of your, you know, out of that 4-3-3 that has always been. Yeah, and that is what helped turn the tide and break things open against Honduras. Because for the longest time, it looked like it was going to be one of those nervy, like, 1-0, been with right. all of Weah's efforts. But the fact that he kept doing Weah things, kept going I'm going to be on the side of the eight, getting there, delivering crosses, going in, cutting inside if I have to. I'm going to be that guy on the right to make this happen. If it wasn't for him, it would have been maybe a 1-0 game instead of the 3-0 that was comfortable. Yeah, but I think obviously the stars of this game were in the midfield. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have Weston McKinney, who for me, I think, is now cemented himself as the best player for the United States men's national. He is constantly... Uh, if he's not going for a ball, he is doing something to get the players involved. We'll go in for a tackle. He does a lot of different on that left side of Middle East. And I thought Luca De La Torre was great. He was busy mm -hmm. moving the team forward as well, along with uh, Tim Weah. Um, he would go back and get the ball and have a make a connection with the front players. Um, and he added that little bit of skill, that little bit of like magic that we see from Yunus Musa as well, but we, it's a different kind. It's, it's like somebody that, you know, he's confident on the ball. He's going to go. Um, sometimes, you know, you want to see him like cut more inside. He kind of tended to go more wide when you didn't necessarily need him to. But again, it's somebody that he knows what he wants to do. And that's, you need players like that. But mm -hmm. obviously the most important guy in this evening, because he was vital on all three of the goals, Kellen Acosta. Oh, yeah. And set pieces, being the set piece man and being the guy that made things happen. You can say what you want about Christian Bliss is your star. He should be the guy that is is the one you're counting on. When you needed a goal, it came from the foot of Cohen Acosta. And, and we kept wondering, where would a lot of these goals come from? We have a big time in that with Acosta. It's a shame he can't go ahead and play further forward. But as we talked about with Field, now you've got much more, okay, you need someone to push up a little bit and attack. We have someone who can come back and defend. We have someone who can muddle things up in the middle, be tough and do that. You're developing a better core. This is great. Hopefully, see more of Acosta come the next window. He's going to be. Yeah, I, I don't know how this is going to work because obviously he plays the same position as Tyler Rapp. So, and, and the thing is, when Acosta has been put in any other part of the midfield, the team's out of place. He doesn't. Mm -hmm have the same function because when he's a six which is what his natural position, he knows okay i'm going to have to get the ball but he also has Austin mckinney that can do that and then he can go and 
get forward and make those make those passes be made. He will do it from either you know from long ways or bringing those low crosses. And then obviously every time you have a free kick opportunity, you feel like the team's dangerous instead of well, let's see if they get it past the first guy. That's what was happening in these two games. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mr. Pulisic just wasn't on it. And it's amazing to see Kelvin Acosta now, his stat under Greg Berhalter, six of his set pieces have become goals, including yep. the Gold Cup winner mm-hmm. uh, for Miles Robinson. So, and I think what obviously helped a lot, as we saw with Canada in the other game, the U.S. scored first, and they mm-hmm. scored early. So it set the tone. Weston McKinney atoned for his miss again in the Canada game to absolutely nailing it in around the seventh minute. And then the scrappy goal from Walker Zimmerman, which is also a set piece. And then another set piece again uh, for Christopher Pulisic in the seventh minute to score that third goal. And I thought Christopher Pulisic looked... This is now another game, just like the Mexico game, where he's yep. looked good when he comes off the bench. And he's someone that you... I'm not saying you got to use him as a super sub every time. But I think perhaps in these bigger games, right, mm-hmm. you may want to put him there. You may want to have him as a weapon, bring off the bench to give the team some a lift instead of necessarily always having to start him. And then he puts so much of the focal point on himself, puts too much pressure on him. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have these big trips coming up, in particular, 60th, 65th minute. Bring him on. Plenty of time for him to still impact the game. And honestly, at worst, you don't lose from what you're at the best, you have someone who can bring that bonus, another big body who can come in, not necessarily be dirty, but just like, hey, you need someone to move forward. You need someone to pick a pass out. That's Felix is perfect. Yeah, and I think, you know, Greg Berhalter is going to have some decisions he has to make now because obviously if Giovanni Reina can ever be fit, he also provides mm-hmm. some of those same qualities. Obviously, he's not a six. So you're going to have to figure out something in the midfield of where you put him. Or does he, is he one of the front three to take out? You know, that's the question is for me right now, the way Tim Weah has played, I don't know how you cannot start him. He's, he's been your guy. You, have you to. know, you always count him. So on that left side, next to Ricardo Pepe or whoever it is, you decide to put it the number nine. Is it Giovanni Reina that starts and then you bring in Pulisic later? Is it, you know, Pul- Giovanni Reina? It's like, are you going to have to move around the midfield in order to, you know, to be able to make way for him? Because you know where Tyler Adams is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you can't really move west of me. So Mm-mm. does Eunice Musa get sacrificed for him to be able to play pull as well? He's got a lot of assists to make. You've got Sacosta become a, a specialist. Uh, like, a, you know, for the lack of a better person to think of right now, but like of a, a David Beckham type where... You know that you need those special moments. Do you have to bring him on just for those special moments at the sacrifice of what it could mean midfield? Uh, where, like I said, where he's been put on the right side a lot of times next to Tyler Adams and he doesn't play the same way because he doesn't know where he, do I go forward? Do I stay back here and help? Do we have a double pivot? You know, what do we do there? Um, so. That's something that, again, Berkhalter now has to figure out, depending on what pieces he has when he goes into these last three games. We're talking about almost a month, almost two months from now that you have to make choices. So that's a lot of things to, to think about right there. But I think something that we don't, we know we don't need to make choices is the back line. I no. think we know what the back line is at this point. For me, it's the Destin Robinson, the flanks, and Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman are your center back. That's it. There's no changing that. 
uh, maybe a Chris Richards instead of Robinson when he's healthy and playing. But Walker Zimmerman needs to be playing every single game that matters. The world of difference that he makes, the much better positioning that the team has, he is there. See it, Honduras. You can see it in the other games that he has played. Just the confidence that he brings. He's in a, he's one of the older guys too. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's someone that that is able to just be a calming presence, and you need that. And and being able to tell the team that the other parts of the back line, even you know, going forward of telling them where to be and what they need. And that's important as well. That really is. And it's great that have basically almost like a football term, those defensive captains, ones who set everything up right there. You have an extremely sort of cohesion. They know where they have to be. Almost moving is one giant person. Nobody's really out of pace. So when to break and start lumping those balls, getting field and stuff. It's glad that we at least have that part down. And that's one fewer headache for us fans and Burhalter to have going in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I just hope that Greg Burhalter deposited from this last game mm-hmm. and is wanting to bring a Luca Latore for the next one or someone like that. And not necessarily, oh, let's bring in the... I mean, I'm saying nothing against Jordan Morris. I think if he finally gets some time, which they will. This is the, the nice thing, isn't it? Now MLS will be in C- Yep. For these last three. So you'll be able to get a look at different guys, aside from the European guys as well, obviously. But perhaps one of the, you know, some of these guys that you're bringing because of something from a January, they'll actually have been able to have game time to prove to be there for these final three games. And I'm sorry if uh, there's someone out there saying, well, why haven't y'all talked about Honduras? Well, the reason why I'm not talking about Honduras is because that team said before the game even started, they didn't want to be there. They didn't care. We just want to get this game over with. If William Gomez out there talking about why do we need to be? Well, they sure played like. Uh, yeah. I mean, other than Albert Elise, seemed like he really cared and was fighting the whole time. And Minor Figueroa, other than those two guys, I thought everybody from Honduras acted. I mean, to be fair, who wants to play in four degree temperature? I don't. But, you know, and, and I'm sure none of those other players. Uh, poor uh, Kyoto had hyperthermia, had to be taken off. Let's talk about that for a second. Did, did, in the U.S., if, if you're. If you're a giant of the, mm-hmm. why do you need to feel necessary to play perhaps the worst team in all of the octagon? Yep. The octagonal. Yep. In four degree weather. Like, I mean, aren't you better than that? And I know this is going to be revolving around the king. I get the match before Canada, getting everybody used to the cold. Even though in Hamilton, Ontario, it was 25 degrees. Right, yeah, same around, it was the same like about. Exactly. Yeah. So you want to go ahead. Toughen up ahead of that cold weather. But then you know you're looking ahead. And I'm not saying months in advance, but a week. We've seen the weather patterns. Seen this Arctic blast. Seen all the possible. Could you not think, hey, it's going to be brutal in Minnesota. Work together to find another venue just for that match. Let Honduras know because one of the big stories, aside from Kyoto's uh, hypothermia, eh, all the entire team, they had to go to like a sporting goods store or whatever. To all 28, you know, winter coats, it's all that cold weather because they were not prepared for that. I, I so. mean, how would Bur- I mean, Burhalter, you know, talks about how well they both had to play in the weather mm-hmm. and everything else. Well, well, how would you feel if one of the U.S. players? Everybody I mean, like, would have been calling for heads. Exactly. Rightfully so, so, rightfully. so it should be fair to both that you're not playing in that kind of weather. And I hope we never see this. It's just, no. it's not right. I mean, yeah. it's different. It's different when we see in Europe teens playing in the snow and all that yeah. kind of stuff. 
No, and even we had our big snow classical here a few years ago. It was snow. It was a beautiful looking, well, maybe that was like, what, 20 degrees-ish? Right, yeah. Not four. It's different. It's different, and even yeah. with MLS, the absolute coldest temperature they have at kickoff for MLS Cup Final or big playoff game, maybe 15 Kansas City, which is bad enough, but you're right. That's stupid. It was stupid, and it was dangerous. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's bad when it's U.S. soccer itself mm-hmm. has the thing of when it's wind chilled zero degrees or below, you take things inside. Yep. And then you're contradicting your own self. Yep. Be sitting here going and, and doing this. So it's crazy t- that this game took place or whatever, but it happened. U.S. won. You got what you wanted, but it's crazy that we had to get to that point. Really? Okay. Sure. You could have some Honduras fans in Texas or Florida or wherever. But you should be good enough to be able to beat on Dudas wherever it is you play. Of course. They're or the, even, the worst team in the octagonal. And even if you don't want to say you want to keep Minnesota, could you not have called up U.S. Bank Stadium right in Minneapolis? No, it's not even that, Eric. It was going to be no, cold. Regardless, get, you could you could move it to a different stadium. Yeah. In a different in a different state. Maybe you still keep it up north, but yeah. not somewhere where it's going to be four degrees. It's crazy. No, and this is what I'm saying. With U.S. Bank Stadium, that's closed in. So, yeah. yeah, you didn't have to move this, but you could keep it in more comfortable con- for the players and fans. Right. They even had a weather advisory for the whole, for the whole city. It's crazy that, uh, you're, you're doing this, but I don't know that there's that much to take away again based on the, the opponent. The, the opponent didn't even want to be there. They were mathematically no. eliminated at that point. You, you got the three points, but that game at the end of the day was probably the one that it mattered. It mattered. It was a huge game as far as the result. And I, again, I just don't know how much you can take from it. Yeah, because this, this was, call it what you want, everybody can call me out for it, but looking at this game, even at the beginning of knowing how Honduras was, knowing where they were, you booked this as right. You had it in the bag. What was the difference? So let, let's like go around CONCACAF. The other results that you needed to happen, or the, the results that you thought would happen, are the ones that happened. Mm-hmm. So... Now, everything is set up again, like I said, for that final window. Canada essentially won 1-0 over El Salvador. Zava hold on, they held on for a while uh, until about the 66th minute, and uh, Canada scored a goal, and then Jonathan David put one in, another chip goal uh, late in the match to make it 2-0. I feel bad for El Salvador. They're mathematically still in it, technically, so... They have to hope for a lot of things to go their way, but it could still happen for them, basically. They have to pretty much get three wins uh, in their last games in order to even make it a, make it something for them. So, uh, and the most they could get is 18 points, and they pretty much have to hope that Panama or Costa Rica don't get more than a point. That's going to be difficult. So The way that Panama played, oh, 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 oh. even my heart hurt for them to the match against. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would uh, agree there. Um, but it looks like, and Jamaica's eliminated again. So Jamaica and Honduras are eliminated officially, pretty much. Uh, El Salvador has a, a sliver of a chance, but I mean, they have to have a lot of things go their way, which I don't think you're going to see both Costa Rica and Panama not gain a single point. That's almost, and then El Salvador obviously again has to win all three of their games, which would include a final game against Mexico. That's really rough for you to think that's going to. Costa Rica did the thing. They did the thing that they do, which is they sat there and defended, defended, defended. Jamaica had 15 shots at seven. I uh, had 63% of possession. Joe Campbell gets a goal in the 62nd minute. 
And that's all Costa Rica needed. They they held on. They held on pretty much. Uh and got their their point um at the office. So credit to them. Credit to them for getting exactly what they needed. Mm-hmm. And now they sit one point behind Panama, possibly after this almost this entire octagonal behind and you're thinking, man, this is one of the beasts of CONCACAF. When you when, when you were talking about the top three, it was always U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, and then everybody yep. else. And so, like, man, to, to see them falter the way they have and go down, and then all of a sudden they make this miraculous comeback, and it's almost there for them. It is seriously almost there for them uh, to happen. So it's honestly crazy to think it's going to happen. Uh, it, it could seriously happen in Costa Rica to finally get back in. Uh, again, it gives some of these older guys one last World Cup. One last uh, shot in Carter, and then off into the sunset. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, going on from there, you mentioned the Mexico game. The, the one that, that had so many implications, because pretty much it meant if Mexico didn't get an actual, and I'm not talking about just a result, they had to get a win. Mm-hmm. This wasn't, you could not get a draw here and and go and and. Basically one point, what they, what are they, yeah, they would have been just one point ahead of Panama yep. and then just three points ahead of, uh, Costa Rica and seriously could have been in danger in that third window of actually not even qualifying. So they gave themselves a little bit of cushion. He tied on points with the U.S. Um, now let's talk, let's talk about the, they had one goal that was taken away that was clearly offside, very much like the money goal. Yeah. On the previous. But man, that penalty was something. I don't I, know. Ah, uh, I still look back at that, and I was like, "Wait a minute, how is that a penalty?" I looked at the replay, and was like, "They did. They called it." And then I see the point in the spot. I was like, "I didn't." Yeah, know to do. I, I'm, I'm still confused. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, they're they're gonna call it. Number one, it's Mexico. Yeah. And then number two, there was contact. I and I get that it was contact entirely. Yeah. I'm not was oh needed this and all this and that and yada yada yada, but it's just like um letter of the law and okay I can see why you called it's one of those to where you can make an argument yeah there was contact but this and that so I don't know I just still feel bad for yeah no I feel bad for Panama too they had it they were they were giving Mexico fits it wasn't just like they were out here just holding on and. You know, this man, they made it difficult for Mexico, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, you have to worry about if you're the national. Mm-hmm. They're not going to just go into whatever, wherever it is you're going to decide to play that game and lay down. You know, they're fighting for something, you know, yeah. so they're fighting for a spot in the World Cup and, you know, they're, they're going to go for it. So, you know, considering where you're at at that time, that would have been huge. Imagine if Panama can go to Mexico. And, the, and, and they had this during the game. It was a straw pull. They literally asked fans, does Tata Martino's job depend on the result of this match? Nearly 70%. They had the hashtag. Fuera Tata. They're like, nope, he's out. We're done. We can't oh, deal yeah. with this. I mean, I mean, inside the Federation, I think he would have been okay, but they had been so overwhelmed from the outside. Mm-hmm. They have been incredible. We're going to lay it all on the line for these last three. When you have one against... Who they have to play. I mean, you got the U.S. coming to town. Yep. I mean, yeah, you get a point there, but that doesn't really move the needle for as far as he to go, considering who these other teams have. You know, uh, I mean, yeah, Costa Rica has a really tough game at home against Canada. Canada only needs to win one of these games uh, to basically qualify. So they mm-hmm. don't even have to win against Costa Rica. They don't have to do anything. But they, I'm sure that they want to preserve their unbeaten, so they're going to go for it. 
But Canada has two tough games. Sandwich in the middle, though, they have Jamaica, who's already eliminated. So that could be the game that they get the three points and, and you move on. But Mexico has, they have their game in the middle as well against Honduras. And probably by the time they play El Salvador, El Salvador is eliminated. So they really only got to deal with the U.S. I mean, to be fair, you know, you got two games that you should expect to win. And one of them's at home. at the end. So that's why I think a lot of people inside the Federation were not so much worried. Because looking ahead at what you have, you should be able to. You should. Right? And it should so. be comfortable. But at the same time, and I say this and I flash all the way back to just because you should do it. Just because you're expected to, this is still CONCACAF. Weird thing happened. Right. Weird things do happen. We've seen it so many times. Not to say that it wouldn't, but it's, it's something that look at, you know, Panama has Honduras at home where Panama have been great this entire campaign. That's, you would expect three points. El Salvador mm -hmm. plays Jamaica at the office. If they can get those three points, then their game that they're playing against Costa Rica matters. Yep. And that's what, that's what you want if the U.S. You want that El Salvador, you want that El Salvador Costa Rica to matter. Uh, so you're rooting for El Salvador to win at that point. And then you're going to see how the results go for you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm sure if you're looking at it as far as creating distance, you want Canada to keep winning. Uh, because at this point, Getting first in the octagonal really depends on Canada kind of just bombing out. Considering the teams that they have to play, two of them in contention, it's possible, but also it's Canada's the number one to expect them to go out there and get the wins going to get or get mm -hmm. the get points, you know, at least if if not draws. So you know the U.S. and Mexico are going to basically try to go for a draw in Azteca. Could either one pull off the the big win? Sure. Yeah, Mexico's at home, but Azteca's been almost a burden for Mexico. They haven't done well at the Azteca on this campaign. The U.S., could they try to pull four for four on, on Tata and big games? Man, what a what a big moment for Greg Berhalter that would be. Remember when all of us were sitting there saying, oh, why aren't you uh, interviewing Tata Martino for the job, best job, right? Mm-hmm. And look and, at what's happening here. Yeah. And even Tata himself was like, hey, they didn't call me. I'm going to remember that. Now exactly. you have a little bit of an edge as you why, especially but, with but right now Greg Brawhalter has his number. Mm -hmm. It's three for three for three right? and games that matter. So could he make it four at home in Mexico? Remember the other three are all in the US. So yep. how much do they have some kind of oomph? And then two of those in the two finals that were outplayed. So mm -hmm. What are we looking at here? Remember Mexico, Chucky Lozano got hurt again. So how much is that going to affect things as well? That's going to be a huge game, obviously. But then you're looking at Panama at home. That's not where Panama might be at that point, needing to get the points they can. And then the U.S. has Costa Rica, another team that is in Costa Rica. But the U.S. has never won uh, in World Cup qualifying. So big games all around. Uh, Costa Rica has Canada. And then El Salvador, they have that nice one in the middle, depending on what happens with El Salvador. What kind of El Salvador team are they going to get going to El Salvador? This is, these are such monumental games now, knowing what you have with Canada out at front with 25 points. U.S. Mexico, again, goal difference being the separator, now a three point goal difference for the U.S. over Mexico. And then Panama, Costa Rica tied on goal difference right now. So one point separates them. Again, crazy to think that's where we are. With these, yeah, uh, I, I said you don't want to go into March having a top six. Yes, El Salvador in it mathematically, but looking at the well, looking at everything, you have a top five. You can live with a top five. You just got to go and get the job done. 
Yeah, you gotta go and get the job done. Again, you gotta really either go for the win or get the draw against Mexico. You don't yep. want to lose and have Mexico have a, a three point lead mm-hmm. against you at that point. Um, so the U.S. really needs to, you know, come in with it and, and get the points that they need there. And then you gotta go and beat Panama. You cannot lose that game. Uh, you cannot draw that game. You gotta make sure that you get yourself a cushion going into that game against Costa Rica. And again, Costa Rica could very much well be in fourth spot by the time, you know, Costa Rica could be sitting there fighting for a third or fourth spot by the time you get to playing. Um, this, there, a lot of choices, a lot of big decisions are going to be made by the time we get there. But Tata Martino got to save his job for that final window. Let's see if they make it. It looks, they should make it to Qatar, mm-hmm. all, all things considered, honestly, with who they have in front of them. But it'll be interesting to see who goes along with them. And you would think that whether it's Panama, whether it's Costa Rica, whoever comes out of that Oceania region, they have a pretty good chance of getting to. So, you know, there's a lot at stake for these teams here. You didn't want to see a top five if you're the U.S. Honestly, you didn't want to have another in contention to have to fight against. Um, but you definitely have the toughest window you've ever had in these World Cup qualifiers now at the end. And what did we say? At the beginning, we didn't want to get to the window to worry about making sure you got a bunch. Of, and now you have to get at least at least four, if not seven again. Ideally, I would set even the minimal, but five. Yeah. Win, five. draw, draw. Yeah. Do you get the two draws on the win at home? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You definitely need to get at least four to five as the minimum. And anything after that is that's uh, that's a lot of stress to think about. Thank God we got a, a month. We we can we can take a breath at least yeah. for a little while. Take a breath uh, for sure. <laughs> I, I really don't know if there's much more um, to say. I, I guess we look at as well since we're already here. Uh, look at the comparable uh, qualifying instead. Uh, important to me, uh, but interesting what we have here. Brazil and Argentina already qualified. Yep. Um, Ecuador, I think, only needs uh, a win these last two uh, to cure qualification. Uh, for sure, I think even if they get a point, they pretty much secure themselves at least a spot in in one of the five spots. Remember, whoever wins here plays the Asian Confederation team. So right now, the standings are Brazil, Argentina, number one and two. 39 points for Brazil, 35 for Argentina. Ecuador is right there in third place with 25. Right behind them is Uruguay with 22 in the fourth spot. Peru, 21 in the fifth spot. So right now, Peru will be playing the Asian uh, contingent if it ended today and then chile colombia right there chile colombia are kind of the two teams that have a chance um mm-hmm. bolivia technically is not a limit because they could get up to 21 but that's a rough yeah they're rough they, chance they would have um, to have the top of all the teams above them and even if they were say dead even with peru they would have to make up what is that eight goals yeah that's crazy Ouch. So essentially, like I said, it's Colombia, Chile, Peru, and Uruguay fighting for spots because Ecuador really doesn't need a whole lot. And they've got Paraguay in their first game. Uh, so you'd imagine they get the points mm-hmm. you need there. And then that's pretty much it. The interesting thing will be, you know, Bolivia has to play Colombia, who's fighting for it. And then Chile has to play Brazil. At that point, Brazil technically is still fighting Argentina to make sure they're the number one team, which they can clinch that if they're able to win against Chile. A lot to play there. And especially, and especially both Brazil and Argentina, both of them also on. Un- yeah. 
So uh, that's something to consideration. Yeah, and they're not going to make up that game that they have between each other. Uh, leave it canceled either. Yeah, that's the thing you got to think about is, okay, so like if Chile doesn't win against Brazil, the highest they can get is, so then you have to hope that Uruguay keeps winning, they beat, and you are in by, by the sk there. Mm -hmm. Um, Colombia have to basically win their next two in order to get, or get a, yeah, basically almost have to win because even if you get the combination of the win and the draw, it's not, you're, it's not really enough, uh, pretty much. Again, some pretty, Interesting matchups that we're going to have here. Uruguay, Peru, what a huge game that's going to be deciding what happens there. If one of them, uh, Colombia, Bolivia, again, also, again, Bolivia technically is in it, but technically kind of not also. Uh, so Colombia has it all to play for there. Um, again, Ecuador can seal it, seal that third spot with a win against Paraguay. Then you have that last match day, March 29th. Peru, Paraguay, you would think that Peru get the win there. It all depends on what happens in that game before then. Ecuador, Argentina kind of doesn't matter at that point. Um, Chile, Uruguay, what a huge game. What a huge those two. Colombia playing Venezuela at the end and Bolivia and Brazil. That game doesn't really matter either. So if I'm Colombia, right, what a draw you got, right? Mm -hmm. You got the two, two of the, the three worst teams in the, the whole system here that you get to play, but you're also having to to scoreboard watch because, or not scoreboard watch, you're having, yeah, you're having a scoreboard watch because you're having to sit here and look at this, these numbers and hope that by you getting up to 23, you can take one of these last two spots that are going to be available. So yeah, man, this is, this is going to be an interesting thing, uh, for what happens with these teams here fighting for it. Um, but if you're Columbia, you got a really nice, uh, draw out of this entire thing. Chile has such a tough road. Man, to try to get to that fifth spot, playing two of the, the t you know, playing a team that's fighting for it right there with them, and also Brazil, who still needs to get points, at least three, uh, that they need to at least get one win to clinch the top spot over Argentina. So, yeah, such a craziness is going to happen with in these last games. And imagine yeah. Chile ending up potential now going back to back without qualifying. Uh, who would have thought after all those years of them looking amazing and winning those Copa Americas, Copa mm -hmm. Medina Centenario, uh, what, what did they do? Make it to the final eight and, uh, the World Cup that they, they had a tremendous run in, or at least yeah. uh, they made it past. Yeah. So we'll be fun to see what happens with the Americas. And, but again, thankfully we get a little bit of a break to not have to focus so much on this. Uh, we'll be back. The idea I think is, uh, Monday nights, uh, for our regular show. We'll start our MLS. Uh, preview, uh, where we're going to be talking about 17 and giving you kind of thoughts on what their best case scenario, worst case scenario is for the season. And, you know, who's, who's been in and out of the team, you know, coaches and everything else. And, you know, mm -hmm. that'll be fun for us to go through. So we'll be back pretty soon here, uh, Monday night for the first show that doesn't involve US <laughs> Men's National Team Talk of 2022. Until then, everybody, see you later. Peace.